believe God to anoint this service. Father, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us, Lord. This morning, we put this word in your hands. And Father, we pray for the anointing of the Spirit of God to be upon our lives, Lord. Not only me as I speak, but Father, I pray that the anointing would be upon each one of us to open our ears and open our hearts, Lord God, to hear and to take this word and to receive it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last Sunday, we started a message called, uh, or started a series of messages called The Intimidator. The Intimidator. This is The Intimidator Part 2. And basically, I could have used this title, but I didn't because it's kind of rude. So I'm going to say it right now. Shut up and sit down. That should have been the title. I, I actually, I, I actually uh, kind of regret calling it The Intimidator because I found out that that is some NASCAR guy's title. So anyway... The Intimidator Part 2, or Shut Up and Sit Down. So let's talk about this. The Intimidator, what does he do? He is obviously Satan, and he does in, intimidate the church of Jesus Christ. He intimidates the people of God, and he intimidates us by using this thing called fear. So just a question to make sure that we're all on the same page. Has anybody in this room ever been fearful? Three of you haven't. That is fantastic. i got to figure out what you guys are doing. So let's talk about fear. Just for a moment, the definition of fear. An unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Remember last week, we learned that God built this mechanism on the inside of us called flight, or excuse me, fight or flight. This is for our protection. Whenever something's fearful, we run from it. Amen. My wife has been fearful many times and I've had to run from her. <clears throat> Those of you that know my wife know she's pretty much not fearful. But this mechanism that God built into us, this rush of adrenaline that uh, you know, comes over us in the face of real danger, it gives us this instant boost of strength. It gives us this instant, you know, I got to get out of dodge kind of thing. So now let's talk about the definition of intimidate. It's a verb, and it means to make timid or fearful, frighten, especially to compel or deter by or as if by threats, to make timid or fearful by or as if by, by threats. Fear is this spiritual phenomenon that is inflicted upon us by the devil. Are you all there with me? How many of you all know that fear does not come from God? Obviously the fear of the Lord, but that's a whole different category. Amen? But whenever fear comes on us, we know that it is not of God because God says, I didn't give you the spirit of fear. Amen? God has nothing to do with this fear. It is all, it is all relatable and returnable to, to Satan himself. The list of what you and I are fearful about literally goes on and on and on and on. There are some of you that have fears that I don't have. There are some of you that, that I have fears that you don't have. Amen? So the list just goes on and on and on. There are just so many things that bring fear to our lives. But this morning, I want to take a few minutes and talk about the fears that the intimidator, Satan, brought into our lives that have literally paralyzed us as an individual and as a body of Christ. So in other words, the church, we've heard this over and over and over, sit down and shut up. It has paralyzed us. 
Let me just make sure we understand this. The church of Jesus Christ is not saying what it needs to say today. Are you all there with me? And I'm just going to say this as well. Individuals in that body of Christ are not saying what we need to be saying in this day we live in. And why aren't we? Well, I really believe a whole lot of it has to do with fear. We are intimidated by the intimidator, bringing fear to us. Well, my goodness, if I say that, I could get in deep trouble for it. If I say that, a whole lot of people on Facebook could unfriend me. Amen? Are are you all there with me? If I say that, for heaven's sake, we could have people picketing this body of Christ. Whenever I was in Winston-Salem working at that church, one of the things that we had is we had a gentleman that would come every Sunday morning and picket our church. Every Sunday morning, he'd unload his signs, he'd go out on the median, and he'd pick at our church. Let me just tell you something. I believe this. I believe that if we're not getting picketed, we're probably not doing the right things. Hello? If we're not making a few waves out there, y'all following what I'm saying? But see, what has happened is the intimidator has said, hey, You better shut your mouth and you better sit down because you're the church. You need to quiet down. You're not part of what's going on on this fabric of this nation, the United States of America. So we as a church, we're paralyzed. I believe the intimidator for the last few decades has been screaming at us over and over and over again that faithful phrase, sit down and shut up. And i got to be honest with you. You know, they say give credit where credit is due. Amen? I think we've got to give credit to Satan here because I think that he has done a very good job of making the church sit down and shut up. So now let me reread this definition of intimidate. I read it just a moment ago, but we've got to kind of keep this uh, in our minds to make timid, or fearful. Sound familiar? Frighten, especially to compel or deter by or as if by threats. This is exactly what Satan has done. He has intimidated the church. Now, if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. And let me kind of set the, uh, the stage for this portion of Scripture that we're going to read. Um, the church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. Jesus has ascended into heaven, and He left in the hands of His followers the fate of the church that He's leaving behind. Are you all there with me? So we got Paul, and we got Peter, and we got James, we got all the apostles that walked with Jesus on a daily basis for some three and a half years. And right now, what's happening is the gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading like COVID virus. Are you all there? I mean, it is sweeping through Jerusalem. You have all of these devout Jews that are being born again. Are you all with me? I'm telling you, these people are being born again so fast and so furiously that they're having to, they're having to get creative with the ways to be baptizing them. Amen? I mean... People are coming to Jesus by the busloads. And all is well. The gospel is being preached. These people are standing up in the temple and they're preaching Jesus. 
They're preaching Jesus to the same people that said, give us Barabbas just a few months earlier. Are you all there with me? The same people that said, crucify him whenever Jesus, the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, stood before him. They they shouted out, crucify him. Because you have to understand, the majority of people that were alive and well in Jerusalem at that moment in time were being swayed by the religious leaders of that time to speak the words, give us Barabbas. They were being swayed in that moment in time to say, crucify him. Y'all there? And so now we find the church in Acts chapter 5, and I'm just going to read kind of a, a, a little snippet of what it looked like, what was happening in that moment in time. So I want to begin, and I'm going to skip a few verses here, but I want to begin in verse number 27. Some people that were preaching Jesus got in hot water. That's where verse 27 begins. And when they had brought them... They set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. So they're in big trouble. Y'all see this? They're in big, this is the high priest they're messing with. This ain't, this ain't some yokel local preacher. This is the high priest. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Because see, this isn't the first run in with the religious leaders. They basically took them aside and said, man, don't you ever say this Jesus thing again. Don't you do it. I'm telling you, if you do it, you are in hot water. I'm telling you, don't do it. Maybe something similar to that. And so they're questioning, didn't we ever tell you not to do this? And you are in real hot water. And Peter and the other apostles said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted the right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Verse 33 is really important. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. So here's some people that are told to shut up. And they're not shutting up. Are y'all listening to me? They're said to shut up and sit down. We don't want to hear no more of this. But all the more they cried out. All the more because of why? Because of what they said. We ought to obey God rather than man. And so now it comes to this point where these guys that are in leadership have had it up to here. Any parents ever do that besides me? Just curious. I mean, have you ever looked at your child and said, I have had enough? That's exactly what they did to these apostles standing before them. They heard this, they were furious, and they plotted to kill them. I'm just curious, has any of you parents ever done that to your own children? Okay, I have agreement in this body. Skip all the way, if you would, to verse number 40. And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. 
So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his namesake. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. Okay, so basically what happened in those verses in between 33 and 40 is the, is the superpowers of the religious community had this little sit down, this little huddle up, and they decided they weren't going to kill them because if they killed them, it was going to make this big mess. They said, hey, it'll go away. Just leave it alone. And so basically whenever they come back together and they call the apostles in, it says, it says that they called them in and... and they called for the apostles and beaten them. They commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they called them in, they beat them, and then they commanded them, don't you ever say the name of Jesus again. And so they leave. And so they're going down the road. And, and you got to understand, whenever it says they beat them, it wasn't that they just went up and just slapped them on the, on the face. I mean, they beat the tar out of these guys. Are you all ready? Does everybody understand what beat the tar out of means? I mean, they were bloody. They were, they were beaten to a pulp. And these guys leave the presence of this religious leadership, and they basically go out, and they said they were rejoicing. They were saying, man, it feels good to get beat up for the name of Jesus Christ. It's good. Man, if I would have left, I'd have been trying to find me a lawyer and an ambulance. I don't know. How many of y'all would have been going out going, this is great. I got beat up. Well, there's three of you. But y'all are tougher than I am. They suffered in his name. And then verse 42, man, this is the clincher right here. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased teaching and preaching Jesus the Christ. Because, see, they were intimidated. There was fear in them. And so they said, shh, can't say Jesus. They're going to beat us again. Shh. No, see, I left out one real important word there. It says they did not cease. In other words, they didn't do what it was they were commanded to do. They didn't do what they were beaten for doing. Are you all there with me? It says... In, in the temple daily. So that means out in public where everybody could hear them. Are you all there with me? Because I've got to be honest with you, it's really easy sometimes for our, us to express our views in amongst friends. Amen? Or in amongst family. I mean, a lot of times I go out on the front porch and I talk to my dog about the views I have and she's just always with me. You know what I'm saying? She's just always in agreement with everything I say, especially if I say you want some food. She's always in agreement with that. But here, these people aren't just in their houses, but they are literally out in the public square in the temple. And what are they doing? They are preaching Jesus the Christ. I don't believe that there's ever been a time in my lifetime where individual Christians and the church as a whole has been more afraid to open our mouths than right now. I just, I just, I'm my short life, you know, 40 years, I, I'm just, or 50 something years. I mean, we've got this fear of being politically correct. Has anybody heard that terminology before? Okay, everybody's heard that terminology. We gotta be, we gotta be politically correct. We cannot be, we cannot be incorrect. We can't say something that might offend somebody. Amen? 
So let me give you this definition of political correctness, a term used to refer to language that seems intended to give the least amount of offense. Language to give the least amount of, defense, uh, of offense, especially when describing groups identified by external markers such as race, gender, culture, or sexual orientation, and the list goes on. See, what's happened is because the intimidator, Satan himself, using this huge amount of fear, he's pressing it on the church every day, and basically what we've woken up to is this, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. And you have to understand, you're looking at a pastor right here that in many, many times in the past, I've kept my mouth shut because I didn't want to offend anybody. And today we're going out on the internet. So there are people who have, uh, you know, they have access to the messages that are preached inside this sanctuary. And so, you know, I mean, good grief, I'm preaching this message. And so should I be politically correct? Because I don't want to offend anybody. In fact, I don't want to offend any group that's out there. And so basically what's happened in the past for so many churches, so many pastors, so many individuals in the church is that we keep silent. But I will tell you this. I believe that the church in this day and time that we live in has something very important to say. So now let me just back up and let me just say it like this. I believe that the church has something that's very important that not only needs to be said, but ought to be said. In fact, I want to go back to Acts chapter 5, and this is what Peter and the rest of the disciples said. We ought to obey God rather than men. How many of you all know that God does not require us to be politically correct? There are simply things that need to be spoken, things that need to be said, whether they are politically correct or not. And this is the kind of overshadowing thing for everything that we as a body of Christ, that we as an individual needs to be saying. They must be the truth of God's Word. They can't just be our opinions. Are you all there with me? We can't just be going around and voicing our likes and our dislikes because there's a lot of things I dislike that don't have anything to do with the Word of God. Are you all there with me? There's a lot of things that are, in my opinion, that may not be connected to the Word of God. We can't just be going around and saying things just because of the way we were raised. Amen? Folks, i got to tell you, there are a lot of different cultures within uh, this United States of America that we live in, the different ways that we were raised. I was raised in New Mexico, far different from being raised in North Carolina. Folks, many of us came from the mountains of North Carolina uh, that live in Macon County, but i got to be honest with you, they're really different here in Macon County versus Juan Cheese, North Carolina. There's different cultures out there, Amen. Different cultures, and regardless of the way we were raised, that has nothing to do with the things we need to be saying. Our heritage can't figure into this equation either. Well, bless God, I'm a Southerner. Bless God, I'm a Yankee. Come on. 
Just, just hear me here, because a lot of times this is what happens. We begin to speak, and all of a sudden our culture comes into it, our heritage comes into it, our dislikes and our likes, amen? And that's not what I'm calling people to do here. I'm calling people to look at what the Word of God says and to get it so deep within us that it just begins to come out of our mouth. This is what God says. It should precede almost every opinion that we have. Amen? This is what the Bible says right here. This is how God sees it right here. And be able to quote Scripture. We can't be just going around and, and you know, hey, I've done this so many times. Have you ever said this to, to preface one of the statements you're fixing to make? Uh, well, this is the way I see it. I don't really care how you see it. I want to know how God sees it. Amen? And so this morning, I had to kind of put this in so that we can get a hold of it. You see, we, we've, got, we've got to begin to speak the things that are true. And they are true because they are the Word of God. They are what God thinks about it. The world needs to hear what God has to say right now. And the church is, we're, we're, we're being intimidated. The church is, man, shut, shut up and sit down. For heaven's sake, don't you open your mouth. And I'm just telling you this morning that I am very, very tired of having to walk on eggshells for, for the fear that I might offend somebody. Come on. I'm just tired of it. Because the Word of God cannot be suppressed. Because this universe that you and I live in needs to hear the Word of God. I'm tired of walking on eggshells for fear of what someone might not like or, or someone might like. Because this is what I believe that we are living in perilous times. I believe that we are living in the end times. I believe wholeheartedly. If you haven't listened to the messages that we have been teaching on Wednesday night, are we living in the end times? I believe that definitively the Bible tells us that we are living in the end times. And I believe the time clock, this universal time clock, I believe that it is ticking down. And I believe that we are very, very close for that time clock running out. And the rapture of the church takes place. The, the tribulation follows that. The millennial reign of Christ follows that. Folks, I'm telling you, this whole thing is about to wrap up. And we, we don't have the time. We don't have the favor of being able to sit down and shut up at this time because God is the one who needs our voices to be heard. This world is so messed up and the Word of God is literally like this lightning bolt that crashes through the air that's going to be, bring truth to a mixed up world. Let me tell you what will get your attention if you're outside playing around in a thunderstorm. Whenever a crash of lightning hits about 100 feet from you, that will get your attention. Amen? That'll wake you up. Nobody has ever slept through a lightning strike that's about 50 feet away from them. It just shakes everything up. And I believe that's what the Word of God does as it comes in like a sharp two-edged sword that divides the soul. Are you there with me this morning? Our vision, our mission statement is to say, it says to love God and love people. That's the way it starts. Love God and love people. And so what I need to interject right here is 
The whole reason we need to say something is because we love people. Are you all there with me? Not just to say, oh, you're wrong. Let me tell you why the word. Let me tell you why. Because the word says this. There. We got to tell people what God's word says because we love those people. Are you all there with me? Nobody this morning that I'm going to talk about am, am I against. There's, no, there's nobody this morning that I'm going to talk about that I say, man, I, I, I have a great love for people. I'm so sad being, seeing their lives in such torment and such chaos. So many things that are out of whack in their lives. So we need to love people. We love people, but we need to say that, 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 that there is a, a, a real heaven and there is a real hell. We need to love people enough to tell them that. I'm going to just say this openly. We need to tell people that sin is wrong. And if you don't repent and you stop sinning, that you will go to hell. I will tell you, for the sake of people's lives out there, there needs to be more fire and brimstone preaching. Churches all over the United States of America have begun to remove crosses out from their baptistries or out from the walls on their churches because the cross is now offensive to people. Let me tell you something. The cross ought to be offensive. Come on. The cross ought to stir up some controversy because about 2,000 years ago, the Son of the living God was crucified on a cross for the sins of humanity. And if we remove the cross, if we remove fire and brimstone preaching, if we remove the idea that we can't say anything about someone going to hell, come on. We have to love people enough to tell them the truth. The Bible clearly defines what sin is, and there's no way to twist the Word of God in such a way to make sin acceptable to God. And believe me, mankind has tried over the millennia to twist the Word of God in such a way that it's okay to sin. But I will tell you, it is not okay to sin. I mean, man... You know what my mom used to call me? She used to call me a liar. Because whenever I was growing up, I was a liar, liar, pants on fire. Probably got more spankings in my life for lying than probably any other thing. I, I'm telling you, I was good at lying. Sometimes I could fool my mom. And you know, moms have that lie radar kind of thing that's built into them. Little microchip that God put in there. Yeah, you're lying. I was so good at it. My mom used to pound me all the time for lying. She never did ask me, well, now, J.D., did you just misspeak? <laughs> Does everybody get what I'm saying right there? My mom said, you lied, boy. I never once told her. I just don't recall, mama. Folks, we have got to begin to call sin what it is. Not because we're better than anybody, but because what? The Word of God is there. How else is the Holy Spirit going to bring conviction without the Word of God behind it? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not watch sin against you. What does the Word of God do? It, it brings conviction on our life. 
So we have to love people and we have to tell them that there is a real hell and there is a real heaven and they're going to be in one of those two places. They're not going to be somewhere in limbo. They're not going to be in some purgatory. They're not going to be in hell and be enjoying life with all of their friends. It is going to be a place of eternal punishment, eternal damnation. There will be a complete absence and a vacuum of the presence of God. And I will tell you, whenever they experience that vacuum of the presence of God, it will be worse than the flames that are surrounding them. We have to tell people to stop sinning. This next one is we got to love people. But folks, homosexuality is wrong. We have to love people who are caught up in this delusion of homosexuality. Something is amiss in their lives. Otherwise, they would not be where they are at. But we have to say that it is not something that is wound into their DNA. God did not do that. It is something that has been brought upon them by outside influences. And today, our culture, it is popular to be homosexual. But it is still a sin. No worse than any other sin, but it is a sin. And we as a church cannot begin to say, listen, you know, it's just their lifestyle. It's just the way they were born. It's just this. It's just love. How can you get upset at love between these two individuals? It's not upset about that. I'm upset because if they take that sin to the grave, they will perish for eternity. You and I got to begin to call sin what it is. And homosexuality is wrong. We have to love people that are caught up in it enough to tell them the truth. We got to love people enough to tell them that God only made two sexes. He made male and he made female. And sexes are not fluid. If you were born a boy, you will be a boy till you die. If you were born a girl, you're going to be a girl till you die. You can go and have all kinds of rearrangements, surgeries take place, but you are still going to be a boy no matter how you look. You're going to be a girl no matter how you look because genders cannot be fluid. God said male and female. He wasn't in the back of the closet back in the Garden of Eden making some other stuff. Are you all there with me? You can't just call yourself Caitlyn Jenner whenever you were born Bruce Jenner just because you feel like wearing high heels and a dress. I'm just going to tell you something, and I, you know, I believe people who are caught up in this transgender thing that's literally become more and more popular every day that we live, I believe that they have extreme psychological problems. I really believe that it borders on mental illness. And you go, good grief, Pastor, I can't believe you said that. There's no other explanation, people. we got to love people. But I'm just going to say this. I'm going to say it very loud. All lives matter. All of them do. Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. This is what Christians should be saying, folks. Not because we're against one movement or the next. It's because in Christianity, we are taught that all lives matter. Every life matters. Every life matters. While I was sick and down with this crazy COVID virus, I watched a movie on TV about a little boy that got lost. He literally wandered away from his home, and I believe it was here in North Carolina a few years ago. And what this movie was all about was literally a whole community came out to find that little boy. I think he was two or three years old, and he wandered away from home. They had no idea that he had wandered away from his home. They thought that he might be kidnapped. They thought all kinds of things. But literally, a whole community came out to find this one little boy. They got helicopters coming from Atlanta or Greenville or wherever, coming news helicopters. True story. They had police helicopters. They had sheriff and police and dogs and everybody out looking for this one little boy. And all of a sudden, it began to hit me that that one little boy life meant something to that whole community. I mean, they had so many volunteers that the officials just basically were throwing up their hands, man. So for, for a little while, they were saying, no, you can't go look. It's just you know licensed searchers that can go look. And pretty soon there were so many people coming from the community that they were overwhelmed. And they just basically said, you just go look wherever, man. We don't care. The whole community was looking for this little boy. And folks, you got to understand that every life is that valuable. Every life. And we as believers have to make that word resonate to this world. It's what Christians ought to be saying. We are all one in God's, in God's eyes. All People, all people's lives matter. This next one, we got to love people, but there's a couple of things that we probably need to take a stance on, and I could have probably connected this back with a, one a couple, of ba- a, couple of ba- a couple of ways back, but there is no such thing as a gay marriage. It's not. You know why? Because in Genesis 2, 20 through 24, it says this, So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds, the air, to every beast of the field. But Adam there, but for Adam there was, was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place and took the rib. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman, and he brought to her he brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, so call her woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You see, in the Garden of Eden, this is the story about the creation of, of man and woman, and God made a man and woman, and that's what a marriage is supposed to be about a man and a woman. And now I understand the Supreme Court said we could have gay marriages here and they could be, they could be uh, uh, recognized by the state. They're legal and all of this business. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus Christ overrules the Supreme Court of the United States. So what do you say, Pastor? What are you saying? I'm saying that there's no gay marriages that exist according to the Word of God. If you're a guy and want to marry a guy, that is twisted. You can't do that. 
It's not recognized in the eyes of Almighty God. You see, I've performed a lot of marriages in my lifetime, and one of the things that always is important to me is to make the bride and the groom understand this, that they not only stand before a congregation of witnesses, but they stand before a holy God who He only recognizes a union between a man and a woman. If you are a man and a man getting married, even though the state says, there's my rubber stamp and it's all legal, God does not recognize it nor should we. You go, Pastor, you're just being crazy here. I'm telling you, we got to love people enough to tell them the truth. We got to love people enough to tell them that abortion is wrong. It's murder. It's not a mass. It is a human being. At the moment of conception, whenever two cells literally join together, that is the moment that a human life is created. And we've got these crazy ideas now that literally are being brought to the highest echelons of the, of the federal governor in the United States that says, hey, it doesn't make any difference at what, what, what date we can abort that baby. Even if that baby is nine months in the womb of its mother, we can abort that and we can make it legal in the United States of America. Folks got a problem with all abortion. From that moment of conception until that baby is born, we should not be looking at that fetus and calling it any other thing but a human life. It is a viable human life. And they say, well, it's not good for anything. You know, it can't do anything. It's just in the womb of its mother. And so you got to ask your, you know, anybody's arguing with us about, uh, about this you know, for nine months and say, well, let me just ask you this. If you were in the hospital in a coma for nine months, but they knew that after nine months you were going to wake up and you were going to be fine, is it okay if I come into your hospital room and stab you to death? Because you're not going to be doing anything for nine months. They'll probably disagree with that. We have to understand and defend the right of the unborn. They have no one to speak for them except us. Just a couple of statistics, 1973 to 2018, how many abortions in the United States? I mean, how many abortions in the United States? From, from 1973, some of you weren't even born there, to 2018, almost 62 million abortions. The planet would be different with 62 million individuals running around on this place. 62 million abortions that the federal government of the United States said, hey, it's legal. It is a woman's choice. We got to love people enough to tell them abortion is wrong. Psalm 139, 13 and 14 says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that, and, and that my soul knows very well. This next one might be a little bit controversial, but I'm just going to tell you what I think. And then I'm going to talk about this next point. I think we have a generation of kids that have grown up, for the most part, undisciplined. I think we've got a generation of kids that have grown up not only undisciplined, but thinking they are the center of the universe. Come on. 
I think we have a, a, a generation growing up behind us that their parents made some drastic decisions that were all wrong, trying to give their kids everything they didn't have. Come on. Trying to make their lives as easy as they possibly could make their kids' lives. And I think we're paying a price for it. I think that there are some folks out there, and we got to love them enough to tell them this. I think we're going to have to tell some people that they're brats. As this church begins to grow, and as we begin a discipleship process that's going to bring people in and begin to help them to commit to that process that's going to take them from step A to step B to step C, there's going to be some times that you and I, as discipleship coaches, are going to have to look in their eyes and we're going to have to tell them, you are a brat. You are self-centered, you are selfish, and you go, oh, what are you talking about? Folks, let me just tell you how I was discipled. I had a bunch of old men that discipled my life. And I want to tell you something about old men. They're pretty much honest with you. They come to you and say, J.D., you better stop doing that. And then they'd tell me what it was and why I needed to stop. You know what they were basically saying to me? You're a brat in that area of your life. Come on. We're going to have to start telling people, you are selfish. That's being a brat. We're going to, start, we're going to have to start telling people all kinds of stuff about this bratty lifestyle that they're living. We're going to have to love people enough to let everybody on this planet know that any kind of racism is wrong. Amen. You say, well, racism doesn't exist in the United States. Well, of course it does. I have an idea that pretty much everybody in this room at one time or another, if you're not still, you probably used to be racist to a certain degree. Listen, I grew up in New Mexico, and, and we didn't have a lot of black people where I grew up. In fact, we just didn't have any people, but we had a lot of Mexicans. And there were, my best friend in high school was a Mexican. I mean, he was a, he was a Mexican. I loved him, loved his family, spent most of the time over there. I think it was probably just because I liked the food his mom made. But no, were, but then there was this other group of Mexicans that I was very prejudiced about. Amen? We used to call them pachucos. I have no idea. Tell me what that means later, Jose. But we used to call them pachucos. And, and we, did, we didn't like them. But now there were a lot of Mexicans that wore cowboy boots, big belt buckles, rode horses, and I, man, I thought they were great. Are y'all there? All of us at one time or another. Folks, I used to be so phobic about gay people. Gay people, man, I don't want anything to do with a gay person. They were gay, I didn't want to have anything to do with God broke my spirit. He broke me down for a gay man that we were ministering to over and over and over until I finally seen him make a turn and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There's got to come a time where we stand up as a church, as individuals in the church of Jesus Christ and say racism is wrong. Folks, we got to love people enough to tell them that lukewarm Christianity is not going to get them to heaven. Because we got a lot of lukewarm Christians. We got lukewarm Christians right here at Trinity Assembly of God. Hello. You go, oh, how dare you talk about your people like that? I'm just telling you, it's true. We got people that are trying to straddle the fence, they're trying to live on both sides of the fence. 
They're trying to have as much of the world as they can possibly have and as much of Jesus as they can possibly have. And I will tell you that it never will work. It is an impossibility in the kingdom of God to straddle the fence. Let me just read a scripture just in case you're going, I don't believe it. Folks, we got to tell people that lukewarmness is never going to come into the kingdom of God. Revelation 3.15 and 16, it says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches in the last days. Do you all realize this? This is Revelation chapter 3. This is the last day church. It's saying, listen, if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. And we've got to love people enough to go to them and say, listen, man, you're trying to straddle the fence. You're trying to live on both sides. God is asking all of us to sell out to Him. Man, can you imagine what it would be like if every person in America that calls themselves a Christian would just sell out to Jesus? Just all of a sudden, heat begins to form in every church across this fair nation of ours. Think about it. I mean heat, folks. I'm talking about whenever you come into the service, you know that you know that you know that you know you have been to church and you have had an encounter with Jesus Christ and it has shook you all the way to the core of your liver. we got to love people enough to tell them you can't live a lukewarm Christianity we got to love people enough just to say, listen, man, if you're a Christian, you need to start acting like you're a Christian. Unfortunately, what we've got is we've got a lot of people that are coming to church that act one way whenever they're at church. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Welcome, brother. But whenever they get out into the secular world, they drive differently, they act differently, they talk differently. I believe one of the reasons why we have such a great falling away of young people that go all the way through children's church, all the way through youth ministry, and then they, they leave and they go to college, one of the reasons we have such a great falling away of all of those young people is because they've seen two sides of their parents. They've seen the side of their parents that's public and Christianity, and they've also at home seen the side of their parents that is hypocritical. Okay, we may only have five here next week, but they will be my family, praise God. We've got to tell people, we've got to love people enough to tell them that the government is not the answer to our problems. Amen. Folks, I'm telling you, man, Washington, D.C. or Raleigh or any other government entity is not going to fix what's going on in this planet. They ain't going to fix it. They do not have the power to fix it. You know why? They do not have the power to change a human heart. But God does. we got to love people enough to let them know that our academic system, especially our institutions of higher learning, has become infected with liberalism, anti-God, and anti-God word teaching. Over the last 50 years or so, anything to do with God has literally been pushed out of these institutions we got to love people enough to tell them, if you are a Christian, you should be voting. Amen. 
You go, what does that have to do with Christianity? Folks, in the 2016 election, 59% of Christians voted in that election. Only 59. If my math is right, that means 41% of the Christians, 41 people out of 100 stayed home and did not even cast their votes. We have got to vote. We've got to voice our... our we, we have got to have our voice speaking the Word of God whenever we go into a ballot box. And you go, oh my goodness, I can't vote for him, I can't vote for her because this is a problem and this is a problem. Let me just tell you, there's never been a perfect leader. Okay? God himself picked up this guy named Saul to be the first king over Israel. And let me just make sure we all understand this. God knew the future. And Saul failed miserably. Amen? And then came along this guy named David, King David, King David, that literally there's going to come a time, and we'll talk about this in our Wednesday night Bible studies, whenever God himself, Jesus Christ, comes down and sets on the throne of this former king named King David. You see the honor he's ascribing to King David? But King David was a mess. He had an adulterous affair that produced a child out of wedlock, and to get rid of the husband of Bathsheba, had him killed out in the battlefront. King David's family was a nightmare. His kids were messed up. David had more heartache from his family than any other place in his whole life. And you go, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say there is no perfect leader. There's nobody out there that's going to check all the boxes. But there's some people that are better than others. And let me just kind of say this. In we as a body of Christ cannot vote for candidates that support abortion. Amen. Just can't do it, guys. You go, well, wait a minute. No, I'm not going to wait a minute. You cannot put somebody in office that goes into that office believing that abortion is okay. Whew. I love this job. I want to go back as I close. Jared, if you'll come for a moment and help me close. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Folks, I could have made this list really long today. In fact, it was about four points longer this morning, but I thought, well, it's 11.55, I need to hurry up. Peter and the other apostles said, we ought to obey God rather than men. When they heard this, they were furious and they plotted to kill them. If we think we are going to be any different as the body of Christ, just because we're 2,000 years down the, low, the, 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 uh, the timeline, understand this. We are going to take flack whenever we open our mouths and speak the truth. We're going to have people that unfriend us on Facebook. Ooh, I'm scared. We're going to have nasty things written about us in all the various social media things that are going on right now. We're going to have that. But it says that they plotted to kill them. They wanted to literally kill these men. And we might even have death threats come across us. But I believe that we as a church of Jesus Christ need to stand up and say, listen, we're going to be like these early day disciples. We're going to be like these men and women of God. 
that it says, And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. These people were not going to back down on speaking the Word of God. And you and I have to make a decision. How are we going to live our lives? And go, oh, I can't go there. I might offend somebody. I can't say that. I might offend somebody. But it's the Word. It's the Word. It's not your culture. It's not your background. It's not the things that you like or dislike. But it's the Word. It's the Word. It's the Word. We have to begin to tell the world about God and the way God says things. Speak His truth into politics. Speak His truth into all the social things that are going on right now. Speak His truth into the economic things. See, one of the things I had, I'll just go back. i got a couple of minutes. This nation has got to quit borrowing money. It's got to. And we've got to, we've got to begin to vote people into office that are going to say, whoa, we have got to control spending to a point where we balance our budget. We are 20-some-odd trillion dollars in debt as a nation. And if you don't think that that's going to catch up with us one of these days, you are sadly mistaken. I have to balance my budget every day. I cannot spend more than I have. And our nation should run the same way. I'm sorry I took that one out, put it back in. But fear intimidates us, yes? Fear. I'm sitting here thinking, man, there's somebody on the computer right now. Going, I hate you, Pastor. You're stupid. And you got a bad haircut. Whenever I get home and open it up, I'm going to go, oh, man, there's somebody who hates me. Can I just real quickly tell you this? Most fear that we experience is nothing more than a fairy tale. You go, what are you talking about? It's true. Most of the fear that we experience is a fairy tale. The Apostle Paul instructed that many times the fears that we have are only make-believe mind games. In fact, the Apostle Paul calls them imaginations. You get imaginations? In 2 Corinthians 10.5, this is what it says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Oh man, I wish I could preach on that one verse this morning, but I just got to give it to you quickly. And bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is what it says, casting down imaginations. Even today's scientific research backs up what the Apostle Paul covered a few uh, millennia ago. The University of Cincinnati said this. They found that a whopping 85% of, of what we fear never actually happens. Did you hear that? 85% of the issues that cause you to bite your nails, lose sleep, they are the equivalent of fairy tales. You know fairy tales? That's Humpty Dumpty. That really didn't happen, folks. He didn't fall off the wall. He wasn't a giant egg man. But this is, how, this is how fear spreads. The unrenewed natural mind, okay? The unrenewed natural mind has this tendency to fill in the gaps 
of what it doesn't know with the worst possible scenarios. Listen to that. The unrenewed natural mind fills in all the gaps with the worst possible scenario. You ever been called to the boss's office for an emergency meeting with someone? How many of you have ever had this thought? Oh man, I hope I'm not getting fired. Come on. I, I've been there. I mean, I'm like, oh gee. And you go in there and they go, well, I got called to my boss's office one time, scared to live out of me because it was like really weird. And I'd done something a couple of weeks ago that he, I thought he'd found out about. And he calls me in the office. He says, you ever been to Israel? I said, no. He said, would you like to go? I said, well, of course. He said, well, somebody paid your way to Israel. All expenses paid. I go, yes. But whenever I walked in there, I'm thinking, man, there's a possibility I could get fired. I'm not going to tell you what I'd done because he never found out about it. See, the unrenewed mind, it was filling in the gaps with the worst case scenarios. Anybody ever have a symptom? Anybody ever have a symptom? Oh, oh, WebMD. I got to look and see what that's about. Oh my goodness, I could have that. Nine out of 10 people die from it. Oh dear. All of a sudden, there's this terror on the inside of you that you've got this life-threatening disease. I want, I want you all to be honest with me. Every one of you sitting here this morning, has that ever happened to you? There are a bunch of liars in this room. We've all experienced that at one time or another. So now let me tell you the cure. The devil knows your mind's weakness. He knows those areas that are not filled in by the Word of God. And he uses it to influence fear in our lives. That's why in order to live in victory over fear, we've got to do what Paul instructed. Take every thought into captivity. What it means is this, whenever you recognize that thought that begins to cause you worry, it's imperative that you immediately replace it with the Word of God. That's as much as I can say about this this morning. we got to use the Word against fear. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Are you all there? Come on. He has made me more than a conqueror. The Bible says that he, to fear no evil. Are y'all there? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's all kinds of word in this book right here that God's got to get into our souls so that, man, whenever we walk out there and we quit walking around on tiptoes or, you know, not one to break an eggshell, and we know that we know that in our jobs, in our, in our families, that somebody's got to tell them the truth. Now, again, we're going to tell them the truth in love. We can't just say, oh, you're a homosexual. You're going straight to hell. Did you know that? Oh, no, there's a whole lot better way to say it. Come on. But they've got to hear the truth. And we as a body of believers have got to quit being intimidated by this intimidator that uses fear to paralyze us. We've got to start talking. And we've got to start standing up. 
We've got to stand up for the unborn. We've got to stand up for every race, color, creed that's on this planet. And you and I got to be people of God that speak his word into this world that's around us because his word will change it. And so this morning, I leave you with this. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Listen, I just made myself a target because I said some things that are not politically correct. I felt like the Lord wanted me to say the things I said today. And we just cannot let fear rule us. I'm convinced that I'm probably going to get some flack, but that's okay. We ought to obey God rather than men. And from the temple to the house, we need to preach Jesus. We need to preach his word. We got to be way more bold than we are. And we can, we, we've got to quit being intimidated into sitting down and shutting up. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that from your word that your church begins to arise, that we begin to be people that the intimidator, this enemy that brings fear into the very heart of every one of us, Lord, we learn how to manage him. And once we've learned to manage that fear, God, we can speak your truth because there is a world around us of hurting lives that need the word of truth spoken in love to them. And I pray you'll help us to be that individual. You'll help us to be that church that speaks the word of God. I pray, Father, that you'll help every one of us, Lord God, to stand up and to speak up and to be not afraid for everything that we speak that is your truth, you will back us up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you folks. I pray that you'll stand up and speak up. Amen.